0: Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast, in which I, your host Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. My guest tonight is Alan RavenTree. Alan, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. We're we're going to talk about an interesting episode of Star Trek. But before we get to that, <laughs> tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I to to start to start with during the day
1: I am a clockmaker. Um, I repair clocks predominantly grandfather clocks. I drive around uh, the greater northeast Ohio area making house calls, fixing grandfather clocks. Anything that is generally too big for someone to bring into our shop for repairs, because I do work at a clock shop. Um, this is fascinating to me.
0: I had no idea that there were people who earned a living fixing clocks.
1: We, we do. We, there, there, there are not that many of us, but um, there are plenty of clocks out there that need, that need fixed and uh, it just happened that I ended up doing this. Um, <laughs> I am, like, as I said, that's by day. I am a clockmaker. Uh, by night, or or when customers start get me started on it, I am a political scientist by, by schooling and uh, education. Ah. Um. Unfortunately, when I say I'm a political scientist, my concentration there is elected office and running for cam- running a campaign. It's not a full-time job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's kind of cyclical, I would imagine. Uh, yes.
1: So so I have run, I've run for a local office here, here in the Northeast Ohio area before. I will probably be doing so again in the near future. Um, but in the meantime, I am a clockmaker and... Uh, avid
0: star trek fan. well excellent so i is there now i know we're going to talk about clock making now uh (laughs) just briefly so i know that um uh what is it horologist is uh is that just wrist watches or is that uh, generally uh clock making people
1: that's 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 a general um you know the study of clocks and and, uh, horology so i I suppose you, you could call me a horologist. I think I did. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I, I would not. Um, as I said, I work predominantly with grandfather clocks. Um, watches, slightly you know, similar, but still a slightly different animal. Mm-hmm. Even cuckoo clocks, things like that. There's obviously a lot of similarity. Um, but there we do have people in our shop that are specifically work on cuckoo clocks, specifically work on... <laughs> Um, of other, other sorts, and yeah. watches, things like that.
0: When I was growing up, we had uh, a grandfather clock, or what was a smaller one. Is, the, is there such a thing as a grandmother clock? Yes, there is. And
1: actually, that is a fascinating question that I am glad you asked me, um, because the term grandfather clock and grandmother clock are merely nicknames. Um, there is no definitive definition in, in, in my line as far as what a grandfather clock and grandmother clock are. They're usually called a floor clock or a tall case clock. And what people generally think of as a grandfather clock is something that is taller. And a grandmother clock is generally shorter. Uh, I'm six feet tall, so I typically say anything my height or taller is a grandfather clock. And if it's shorter <laughs> than me, it's a grandmother clock. Uh, that's, that's kind of my rule of thumb that I, that I go by. Um, but the term grandfather clock actually comes from a song in the 1800s called My Grandfather's Clock in which the gentleman writing, singing the song, uh, is reminiscing about his grandfather's clock, which was a tall case clock, that he remembers every time visiting his grandfather, it was always going, his grandfather loved this clock, and when his grandfather died, the clock stopped. And apparently no one in the family decided to it after that um <laughs>
0: <laughs> as a memorial that's, to grandfather
1: exactly but that so that that's where the whole uh, term grandfather clock actually comes from
0: i had no idea we had uh we had a very cheap one uh, but it was nice it was there i don't think it ever worked we probably could have used your services um but <laughs> I, I don't know why it didn't work uh i looked at it once i was one of those kids that uh growing up i would take things apart but i didn't have the uh Mechanical aptitude to put them back together. Uh, so I just like to destroy things is what I'm saying. So that was,
1: that was generally my I specifically speaking of Star Trek. Um, I had a lot of models that I generally like to modify so that they had battle damage. Ah. Like the Enterprise B model that I had after seeing Star Trek Generations. I decided, well, I needed to scratch out that part of the hull where <laughs> Captain Kirk got sucked out. That's right. <laughs>
0: into the nexus uh well that's a good segue into star trek because uh, i could talk about clocks for a long time but this is not random <laughs> random talk <laughs> uh that's not the, cl- the but so let's talk about star- I'm, so i'm the gonna the clock s- is ticking the <laughs> clock is ticking uh you are i know because we briefly uh were doing video so i know you're a star trek fan because you are currently wearing uh, a star trek themed shirt and no, you had blueprints right. of the enterprise behind you um Absolutely. but on a scale of 1 to 10, this is the question I ask when I know someone's a Star Trek fan. 1 being uh, you're familiar with Star Trek. Uh, 10 being you have dressed up in costume and gone to a convention. How would you rank yourself on the continuum of Star Trek fandom?
1: I would rank myself a 10.5. Oh. I, I say that because I have been to, have been to conventions in costume. Mm-hmm. Um, but my wife and I together had the same idea that when we went to see Star Wars Force Awakens, we went to that in costume, however we went wearing Star Trek costumes.
0: <laughs> and what were the reactions you got from the Star Wars fans?
1: Uh, they ranged on the scale of confused to somewhat annoyed.
0: <laughs> I can understand that. I think the, the only thing that would annoy people more is if you dressed up as Jar Jar Binks and went to the Force Awakens uh, Premiere. I mm, 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 <laughs>
1: the red mist is upon me. Ah, uh, yes.
0: So, what what is your what is your go to Star Trek costume? Because I I am I am fascinated by uh, people who dress up in costumes because of the dedication and the amount of work it takes. I am very lazy, so I, I don't uh, ever do it, but uh, I, I respect it.
1: Well, um, my general go to costume is my typical. Um, first contact era command a uniform um it's one I, I don't really put a whole lot of effort into the costume and two it's somewhat a matter of ego that i want to be the captain so <laughs> what other costume do i need
0: <laughs> that's true you know that's that's it and the episode that we watched today which is uh well we didn't watch it today but we're gonna talk about it is angel one and i imagine I haven't seen a lot of cosplay from Angel One, but uh, the men on uh, Angel One, the planet, are dressed, the native men dress in these. I don't even know how to describe them. Uh, Well, they're sort of a.
1: They kind of just got. (laughs) fell into some fabric. (laughs) Yep, there is. They're tangled in fabric.
0: Some intentionality there, though. So it's kind of half uh, chest, uh, you know, uh, revealing uh, down to the belly button, but not – it's off to the side, so you don't see anyone's belly buttons, but you see half their chest uh, and they have, like, weird pants and it's kind of a flowy, tunicky thing. It's hard to describe. Um, I'm going to assume everyone who's listening to this has watched this episode so they know what I'm trying to describe. Um, And I've got to say – it's not a great look for, uh, I would think, ninety eight percent of the people who would wear it. They they did they
1: did go for a very specific look um, for the men of Angel One. Yes, that, that is that is for sure.
0: And those are the two percent of men I think that could pull it off. And even then, they still look kind of silly. Which I think is the point of the costume. Uh, and yet, it's still pretty darn silly. <laughs> it's it's very Dancing with the Stars meets Star Trek. Yes. And it's also now that I think about it, it's a little reminiscent of uh in Star Trek II Khan's uh end costume, except less fluorescent uh um. That's
1: a good point. <laughs> there there's there's a lot of left nipple going on.
0: Yes, and it's weird because so, you know, masculinity is this concept, right? And so you see it in here these these costumes are meant to uh i don't think enhance their masculinity but to you know the whole point of this episode is they land on this planet that's a matriarchy so the women uh are are tough and big and in control and the men are uh as they explained in the episode uh weaker and uh are subservient to the women and so the men wear these revealing costumes uh that one assumes is supposed to uh Show off their wares, basically, but also (laughs) not uh, to slightly emasculate them, perhaps. Um, But the same costume, with a different color palette, is put on Khan. Not exactly the same, but very similar. Uh, And he's a a, a macho, I'm going to kill Captain Kirk character. So it's just an interesting kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin.
1: it's It's very interesting, particularly in that they seem to be sort of trying to flip gender norms on their head and mm-hmm. at the same time they're still using what we would consider feminine colors in our gender biased society mm-hmm. on the men
0: right. <laughs> well because they're trying to right, They're yeah. signaling that they're doing right. it it's very clear it's not there's not too much subtlety in this episode
1: no. uh, season, season one in general is not big on subtlety
0: it is true uh but before we jump into i had i have uh, the memory alpha page open so there are many pictures of uh, several men wearing these ridiculous outfits um yes before we jump into it uh we have to talk a little bit about so we know you're uh 10.5 on the old star trek fan scale uh, but now the important question is if you had to pick a favorite series which would you pick the next generation not even a moment of hesitation no hesitation whatsoever absolutely tng so what what about tng draws you to it
1: well, there is the matter that it was sort of my first love as Star Trek goes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was what I was introduced to first. It's what I really grew up with. Um, from it, it came out just a couple years before I was really old enough to be watching television. Um, but it really stuck with me, and I just, its its the one series that I can always just go easily go back to and rewatch. Um, although saying that within the last five years, I have to say I've probably rewatched DS nine more.
0: <laughs> um,
1: but, but yeah, t- uh, next generation would definitely be my favorite.
0: And so who, what character I think you're going to guess based on your, uh, uniform, I'm going to guess that perhaps Captain Picard is your favorite character, but that may be an erroneous guess. So who, who is your favorite character on TNG?
1: I've,
0: I have been trying to think of an
1: answer to that question for the, for the past couple days, because I figured it would be asked, and I'm not sure. Um, I really like Data. Mm-hmm. I really like Picard. I'm not the biggest Riker fan. I like Riker, but I, I wouldn't... Hmm. I will make things easy, and I will just say Picard.
0: you you don't have to be forced to say Picard that's uh you could say whoever you want you could say Wesley Crusher
1: if you want (laughs) well I did idolize Wesley growing up because being this young kid watching this show and seeing Wesley Crusher on there Mm -hmm. it was a sort of oh my god I want to be him he's he's like me and he's on this awesome spaceship um I did go as Wesley Crusher Uh, for halloween one year (laughs) did you have that uh that multicolored sweater thing that he wears uh no 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 i was ensign crusher
0: oh okay i I went straight to the red shirt (laughs) (laughs) i like how you answered that as if it was even a question of course i went as ensign crusher (laughs)
1: even
0: even when i'm at the bottom of of the totem pole there's
1: still i have to be like the top of the bottom
0: Fair enough. Ooh, I'm going to ask you a tough question now. Uh, and then we can talk about Angel One, because uh, we have to. It's the conceit of the show. Um, <laughs> who is your least favorite character on TNG? That, that is the harder question. Oh, see, I, I, I don't leave the hard questions unasked. No, no.
1: Um, I, I know a lot of people usually just kind of say Pulaski. Yep. Um. However, there are some things I like about Dr. Pulaski. Um, I don't like how mean she is to Data. It just
0: seems unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> she is rather mean to him, and I don't know why. Um, and I think you mean Data. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Um,
1: but of as far as regular characters go for the for next generation, I might have to say Wesley despite the fact that i liked him so much as a kid
0: i was gonna say so is this uh you kind of have uh, fallen out of like with wesley as you've watched as you've aged or i wouldn't say that i've fallen out of like i still like him Mm -hmm.
1: it's just there's there's no characters that i dislike
0: Uh, ah i see so you know first among equals exactly i'd I'd have to put like that that is understandable um uh, well, and for a companion to that question, what is your least favorite series? My least favorite
1: series, um, unfortunately, would have to be Enterprise. Oh. Um, but again, I don't dislike it. <laughs>
0: Well, that's – I mean, some people mistake when I uh, mock certain things about Star Trek, that uh, it means I don't like them, Enterprise being one of them. Uh, I And then I commonly have to explain, I host a Star Trek podcast. Right. I like all things Star Trek. Uh, There's just degrees of like.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I for, – for me, I like – I really wanted to like Enterprise a lot when it came out, and initially I did. The problem for me was – the ship designs, and I know this has been mentioned before on the show, but it did feel like they made things look a little bit too modern. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like, all right, we have this fairly industrial looking ship, and then in a hundred years, everything is going to be, you know, solid color walls and colorful blocks for buttons. <laughs> and now, granted, you could also just sort of say, well, yes, that's what it looked like on The original series because that was their budget and if they were able to do more they probably would have but at the same time um, I also because of my Star Trek geekery was familiar at the time with this whole fan fiction online of what happened during the Romulan War in the you know mid 22nd century and The fact that those ships there looked nothing like what we had on Enterprise. (laughs) That, you know, all the, they were more precursors to the Daedalus class ships that that we saw as early Federation ships. And all of a sudden, this Enterprise came around and was very different. And for me, one of the biggest, most important things for me in Star Trek is the ships. And so, for that to be not quite how I imagined it to be was sort of a hit against it to begin with, even though. The design of Enterprise did grow on me, um, but that's kind of my little Enterprise ring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Today's Random Trek is sponsored by Casper Mattresses, obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash trek and using the code trek. That's T-R-E-K. Listen. You spend about a third of your life sleeping. Let's make sure you're doing it on a good mattress. Casper brings together two comfy technologies for better nights and brighter days. Latex foam and memory foam. My two favorite kinds of foam. So they just—they have the right sink, just the right bounce, and no matter how you sleep, you're going to sleep well. They've even got a risk-free trial and return policy. They'll deliver it straight to you. You can try it for 100 days. And if you're not happy, they'll take it back. Um, they'll even pick it up. At the store, maybe you'll get a minute to try their mattress. With Casper, you'll actually get to sleep on it. It's $500 for a twin-size mattress, $950 for a king-size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price. So get $50 toward any mattress purchase by going to casper.com trek and entering the code TREK. And you know, terms and conditions apply. I have nothing against the design of Enterprise. I think it looks beautiful. I just don't like the characters, which makes it difficult. Um Yeah, they're
1: they're if they had a
0: lot to live up to and they just didn't quite make it yes. And as I've said many times, they they gave themselves a hard a very difficult task when you, yeah. you do a prequel to a show made in the sixties that is beloved. Uh it's gonna be tough so uh they had a high degree of difficulty and uh the last couple seasons were good uh, so i'll give them that um, uh, yeah, and, and
1: those are unfortunately the seasons i haven't seen the most i've seen all of enterprise but i haven't gone back to rewatch it in several years although my wife and i plan to once we finish going
0: through ds9 at the moment. <laughs> yeah, ds9 first please yeah. Uh, now, before once uh, I'm going to keep teasing, we're going to get to Angel One. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, but you mentioned that you you like the ships of Star Trek. Uh, yes, and I am uh, also an af- well, I wouldn't say an aficionado because I know there are people who have much deeper expertise about Star Trek ships than I do. But I enjoy them, and I like. I like the designs Uh, I'm not uh, I have this the enter the technical manual somewhere near me Um, but I I am not like uh, an I can can
1: see my copy of it from here
0: (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about your favorite kinds of ships now would you say your I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Romulans in general and their ships uh, always uh, bring me delight plus I like green so they got that going for them uh, but what what, what ships uh, what ship design? Because there are some kind of you know classic categories of ship design, right? Romulan ships, Federation ships, Klingon ships. Uh, I guess the Cardassian ships kind of look similar. They're, they're not as iconic, but uh, right. Um, for me, my favorites my uh, my
1: favorite designs are almost exclusively Federation. I like the Romulans and the Klingons. Um, the Cardassians are okay. The Jem'Hadar, a l- little bit weird, but you know they're <laughs> aliens. They're the Jem'Hadar are pointy, and their ships are pointy. It makes sense. It, it's true. <laughs> um, they look aggressive, so that's good. Uh, same thing with the Romulans and the Klingons. The ships are designed to look aggressive. They're the bad guys of the show, so they have you know they have to look more threatening than the um, than the Starfleet ships. If you know if. Kirk were dri- you know, driving around the space in a giant, spiky, you know, death ball. Then
0: <laughs> It would know. be hard to sell, though, but we're just peaceful explorers.
1: <laughs> exactly. As, as they would say in the Mystery Science Theater episode, Danger, Death, Ray, this is for peaceful purposes only. <laughs> um, but Starfleet ships are generally my favorite. Um, they're definitely the ones that, as a child, I drew my own versions of far more frequently. Uh. Um, I have a prolific uh, collection of st- Federation ship designs of my, of my own from my childhood <laughs> um, to the point that I had my own enterprise that I designed and redesigned drew technical specs of did the, la- the deck layouts goodness, um, and had my own Star Trek spinoff that I had created in my mind and folders <laughs> and notebooks filled with ideas for that that I would act out with, with my, uh, with my friends. Um, but it was always the, it was always the ship design was always the, my favorite part of that.
0: So um, which enterprise you've created your own enterprise. So I'm going to yes. guess that you really like the enterprise. So you must have one enterprise version, official enterprise version. That is, uh, when you think enterprise, which one do you see immediately in your head? Immediately. I think of the D, mm. um, um,
1: However, the, the Enterprise E is probably
0: my favorite design. Oh, that one, the Enterprise E. You know, we were talking about how they uh, you, they look peaceful. The Enterprise E is kind of bordering on looking very aggressive for a Federation ship.
1: It does. It does get a little pointy. The Enterprise E, um, but you know, at the same time, they it, the, the Federation was sort of on a war footing with the Dominion when the E was designed. Was it's was true? Built. Now, granted, you could say that, well, you know, design and production of these things takes many years, and several of those ships were around long before then. Um, So, but, you know, there was that Admiral from DS9 that was trying to put the Federation on a more militarized uh, direction to begin with. So maybe that was all part of his plan.
0: Who knows? (laughs) Head cannon is a beautiful thing. You can you can come up with all kinds of excuses for things. I I have a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> and the Enterprise E was designed to fight the Borg, right? So it had to be kind it's, of exactly. tough. Exactly. Exactly. So it was clearly more of a, I wouldn't say it was a warship, but certainly it was had more of a a war footing than the previous Enterprises.
1: They they clearly had gotten rid of the families at that point.
0: Yes, which I always thought, you know, I like the idea of let's, you know, we're explorers, let's bring our families, we'll have some school. But when you watch an episode of Star Trek, horrible things happen every week. And who brings their family on this death trap?
1: Yeah, it, it was, you know, to boldly go where no man has gone before and probably watch your families die a gruesome death in the process. <laughs> exactly. Um,
0: or yeah, nearly the- die of the cold in this episode. Oh.
1: Oh, the magical
0: space cold. <laughs> <laughs> Which is never explained and uh, means nothing.
1: Exactly. Um, but yeah, the, the Enterprise E is probably my favorite, although it goes back and forth between that, that, and the Enterprise D. So are the you... D is what I always what I always picture myself on. <laughs> like if I could say I want to be on this one, it would have to be the Enterprise D, even though I like the design of the E better.
0: Well, that's fair, I think. And plus it has the detachable saucer, which I always liked. Which
1: I always liked and I had the model that detached as a kid, and I always loved that.
0: Uh, Well, we should probably now segue into uh, Angel One. Uh, If you insist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I'm assuming some people have watched Angel One just so they can hear us talk about it, so they'll feel sad if we don't talk about it a little bit, at least. Uh, So I'm going to do a very quick recap because – uh the story not that complicated and then we can talk about some interesting bits that happen uh the enterprise d is looking for wreckage of this freighter and they can't find it they find a an m class planet nearby so they visit to see if perhaps the uh, escape pods managed to get there they beam down uh what and this Episode is very confusing, although it's first season, so Prime Directive, trying to figure out what that means in Next Generation. Uh, this is a pre warp civilization, but apparently the Federation thinks it's important. So they've had diplomatic ties with them, but they right. haven't visited in 60 years. I don't know. It's very confusing.
1: There, there, there are – this episode creates far more questions <laughs> than answers to just about everything. Um, but yes. I do, I do chalk that up. Largely to, they were still trying to find the direction of the show at this time. Um, It's probably one of of the reasons why the first season of Next Generation is probably my least favorite season of really anything in Star Trek. It's pretty rough Um, going. Unfortunately, it, it's it's tough to get through. And actually, I just watched Angel One maybe a few weeks ago with my <laughs> wife before I even knew this was going to happen.
0: Oh no, I made you watch it again. So it's it was already sort of fresh in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife is watching... Uh, she was uh, sick the other day, and so she turned on the BBC America. They always have Star Trek playing, uh The Next Generation in particular. They're playing mm-hmm. a first-season episode. She realized, I don't think I've ever seen the first season of TNG. So then she switched over to Netflix and kind of started binging the first season. Uh And she had just watched this episode a couple of days ago. And I said, oh, I have to watch this episode for the podcast. And she was like, oh, I just watched it. And I was like, I'm sorry, we're watching it again. <laughs> this is yeah. not an episode, really, that deserves... A revisit <laughs> it,
1: it's hard, it's hard.
0: <laughs> so they go to this planet that's pre-warp uh but the prime directive we don't know what it does really though they do mention it in this episode uh they they you know talk to the people they figure out well they knew it was a matriarchy they figure out what is it, the name the elected one or something the elected uh, uh which is a bad name for your leader um but I suppose they're big proponents of democracy. Uh, they beam down. They talk to Piata. They're like, "We're looking for these dudes." Uh, everybody's a little squirrely about if the dudes are around or not. Uh, everybody looks at the the wacky costumes that the men wear. Uh, there's some some flirting, as you would. Uh, they finally say, "Okay, uh, we we do know where these dudes are, but we don't like them." Uh, <laughs> and they are "Like, why don't you like them?" This unknown why, but then they have to find them. The, apparently there's no platinum on Angel One, so they scan for platinum, and they find the freighter captain, who looks suspiciously like Richard Dean Anderson. Uh, and I said to my wife, oh, look, it's MacGyver. Uh, but sadly, it wasn't. That would have made this episode exciting. Uh, turns out they don't want to leave Angel One, uh, and the Richard Dean Anderson lookalike is in love with uh, Beata's right-hand woman, I guess. Uh, yes. And they're having... They're doing whatever they want to do. Uh and they're hiding out and everybody's upset meanwhile on the enterprise space cold people are getting really sick um and uh they uh what happens they bring the freighter people to Bayata. beata's like oh we have to kill them uh the enterprise folks are like please don't we'll take everybody including the women that have been corrupted by these foreign men Bayada's like okay uh the people are like no we still don't want to, we don't want to go uh they cure the cold and uh the episode ends. <laughs> and
1: and meanwhile, I mean, during all this, there is the very small subplot of we have to hurry up and figure out all these things because there is a crisis at the neutral zone. There oh, that's Romulans. right. <laughs> and at this point, so we're, we're in 2364, and they're concerned that there are Romulan battlecruisers showing up along the neutral zone. The Romulan, there's been no contact with the Romulans since... 2311 since the timet incident they haven't seen the con the romulans in years but let's you know we'll get there eventually after we find these guys that have already been missing for seven years
0: don't don't worry about that really exciting thing that's happening <laughs> let's stay here on this planet and look for a freighter captain who doesn't yeah. want to leave
1: they they mention they make you know quick mention of what would likely be the more interesting episode.
0: <laughs> yes, and then
1: they just ignore it, uh, which they, I mean, they eventually do get around to. Later on in season one, I believe the last episode of season one deals with their, they finally make contact with the Romulans again.
0: Yes, um, and so that sets it up so that there's this this ticking clock, uh, right. and Data beams up to. So they I, I skipped over this part, but there, there's a space cold, as we mentioned, uh, and so they don't want to beam up anybody. Because uh, they don't have an inoculation, and Dr. Crusher's trying to figure out what's going on, so they beam up Data, because, you know, he won't be affected. Uh, And apparently everyone on the ship is knocked out cold by the space cold, uh, and Data has to pilot the ship to the neutral zone. So Riker says, no, just go, leave us here. Data has done a calculation, which seems like a simple calculation, figures out <laughs> that it'll take him 24 minutes. If they leave in 24 minutes, he'll still get there on time. Uh, so he's going to wait the 24 minutes and see if Dr. Crusher can figure out what, get an inoculation. And so we yeah, have this, this ticking clock. <laughs> Do you love books, but find that you never have time to read them? Well, audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go at the gym during your commute. Audible.com provides over 180 titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can download and listen on your Kindle Fire. I have like five Kindle Fires and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike streaming or rental services, with Audible, you own your books so you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You could exchange any book you're not happy with for another title. Anytime, no questions asked. Now, I'm currently in the midst of reading all of the Nebula-nominated books this year for another incomparable podcast that we'll be doing in the not-too-distant future. Uh, so two of the books that I have most read most recently that I really like are both available on Audible.com. First is Barsk, The Elephant's Graveyard. It's about, uh, it's basically what's on the tin, really. It's uh, set in the future with anthropomorphized animals, and the main characters are elephants. Uh, It's really good. Uh, I would recommend it. And in fact, I do recommend it. And the other one that's also available on audible.com is Uprooted by Naomi Novik. I haven't finished this book yet. I am about 45% of the way in, uh, but I really, really like it, and I recommend it heartily. Uh, and that's Barsk. It's by Lawrence M. Schoen. So go check that out. They're both available from Audible.com. And just for random Trek listeners, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to Audible.com slash Trek today to start your free trial. Again, show your support for Random Trek and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com trek. Everybody wins.
1: This episode makes good use of Data's ability to give the most exact answer to questions <laughs> possible. Uh, at, at the beginning, I love Data's reaction when Riker tries to cut him off from giving a long-winded <laughs> answer, and Data just sort of... Rolls his eyes and finishes what he was going to say anyway
0: that's right because he figured it out to those decimal places, and he's going to share it with everybody
1: that's right <laughs> although and that goes to one of my other concerns about the issue the episode. Everyone seems irritated with everyone throughout this whole episode the
0: The irritation is high uh, on this episode. Picard is generally irritated uh by uh Wesley as a matter of fact, because Wesley and his friend we're, go in it this episode has a lot of strange fashion. Uh, it with was the eighties jiff- with their Jiffy Pop ski costumes. <laughs> exactly, it was a different time. Uh, they go off to the holodeck to go, you know, skiing, uh, and they basically almost knock over Captain McCart. And then it, uh, also, well, uh, they throw a snowball, and it leaves the holodeck. So that leaves me to believe that it was a replicated snowball. And so it could leave the holodeck and not a holographic snowball. uh, And it hits Captain Picard and he's unhappy. And it did make
1: him wet. So it definitely had to have been replicated. Exactly.
0: And then he smells something sweet, which is the sign that there is the deadly space cold around. (laughs) Yes, the deadly
1: space cold that goes around by smell.
0: Yes. And now, do they ever explain where this space cold came from? Because I do not recall. It was just kind of, it appeared and then it disappears. I have watched this episode (laughs) twice over the last 24 hours in
1: order to try to figure that out (laughs) no it just it shows up it 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 infects the whole crew and then they get rid of it
0: (laughs) it seems weird you would think that they would would at least say oh maybe it came from this alien artifact or something but nope it's just here and then it's gone
1: well and it clearly somehow i mean wesley seems to be patient zero so yes maybe Hol-
0: holodeck pro- you know, holographic era? virus maybe I don't know yeah yeah and, yeah, and they make a big deal of the sweet smell because uh, Worf mentions it Captain Picard mentions it uh, and then that's how Beverly Crusher figures it out although you know having a doctor figure out an airborne virus <laughs> seems like not a great leap uh, but <laughs> I'm no space doctor so I don't know that's
1: right, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, not 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 one of the finer uh, points in in Star Trek plot history.
0: No, but it does. So there's a lot of – for people who are interested in men's chests, this episode – is is a good one to watch uh it is uh not as many chests are on display as that one uh what where you know Wesley is in the punishment zone and everyone's jogging um <laughs> but uh you get to see Captain Picard he's laying down and he's shirtless and then Riker puts on because he decide he has to be diplomatic and talk Lend to Beata. the culture exactly yes. uh so there's a scene where he puts on the the little outfit that the 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 angel one males wear. So you can see his uh, hairy chest, if that's if you're into that. Uh, he looks fine. I mean, he looks as good as anyone can look in one of those things.
1: I like. I like to think of this as season one. Riker hadn't moved his beard from his chest up to his face yet. <laughs> that's
0: right. It hadn't. It hadn't begun the migration. Riker is a hairy, hairy man.
1: He is, and we find that out With, in this episode, <laughs> which I think is also one way that they sort of contrast him with the men of angel one who are all
0: quite smooth it is true and quite muscular so uh and probably a better look if you're gonna wear that kind of outfit uh, smooth and muscular is probably the way to go.
1: Rather uh, than Robin Williams. Yes,
0: <laughs> that is true. Uh, and so there's a nice little scene, uh, which is kind of weird, but nice, where he puts it on and Tasha Yar and Deanna Troy give him a little ribbing. Uh, Tasha Yar thinks it's sexy and everybody giggles and uh, has a good time. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then, of course, there's a romantic subplot because... Uh Beata is used to uh subservient men, and Riker is not subservient, so she finds it attractive and uh they canoodle a little bit um which is fine, but you know doesn't really do much to advance the plot or really anything
1: <laughs> or or the or the gift that is given oh yes, the Albany meditation crystal, or as my wife and I both said our first time watching it. Did they just call that an Albanian meditation crystal
0: <laughs> it's It's an ancient earth custom we give albanian med- meditation crystals to everyone we meet, uh, yeah, and uh,
1: now they no description of what that is it just they tap it and it glows and it makes for happy sexy time
0: apparently <laughs> well, you know nothing wrong with that yeah, uh, picked it up at Risa you know. <laughs> uh, and so there this episode has a lot of weird stuff going on and and the the angel one people seem. Like, uh, they're fairly advanced, but their technology isn't super advanced, except for their method of execution.
1: Yeah, they're, they're not, they're not a, a, a. They don't have warp technology yet, but they do have this magical disintegration that is apparently painless, uh, quick and painless disintegration technology.
0: Yes, and um, they disintegrate a, a vase, I suppose, to show they yes. mean business. I found it
1: weird. Now, I know, speaking of fashion, because we've talked a lot about the men's fashion, the women's fashion on Angel Angel One, very vaguely cross between ancient samurai outfits and shag carpeting.
0: Yes. Not not a good look for anybody on Angel One, I don't think. If you're a man or a woman, uh, even a cross-dresser, you're not going to find any uh, happiness there on Angel One, as far as I'm concerned.
1: They have advanced killing technology. Fashion they're still working on.
0: (laughs) Now, I mean, you know, this is, of course, subjective. So some people who are watching this may think it's fantastic and more power to you. (laughs) I'm
1: I'm being I'm being a little a little too much like the like the Starfleet personnel here of (laughs) of loving diversity,
0: but being repulsed by it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I like it, but I don't want to experience it. (laughs) Um,
1: There's another scene here where when they when they come to Angel One and Data seems confused by perfume, which yes. kind of always – it always throws me off in the first season how alien thousands of – thousand-year-old human things are to members of Starfleet in, in the, in the 23rd, 24th century.
0: Because they've, they've evolved past the need for perfume.
1: I should hope so being cr- <laughs> you know, cooped up on a spaceship for years on end. <laughs> Although they can't cure baldness, so... They can't cure baldness. They can't figure out Magic of Space Cold. Um, <laughs>
0: but perfume... But don't need perfume. Anymore. Exactly. They got that covered. Uh, they got a sonic shower. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, and I... So, the the look of uh, Angel One is fine, I guess. It kind of looks like a, like a, an 80s office park. Um, I kind of like the... Yes. They have these tube light fixture things... Uh, which i kind of like <laughs> looks, va- looks vaguely organic
1: but uh yeah they're, they're, they're kind of kind of neat. i like the exterior that we keep seeing day and night versions of throughout the episode is <laughs> that that one matte painting of a cityscape that we see in many many episodes of next generation yes probably my favorite of those
0: <laughs> It it is pretty good um uh, is it we could talk about i guess the freighter crew they're kind of jerks uh it's interesting they're not really jerks but they want to stay on the planet for because he's in love and they have families and they put down roots they've been there for seven years which i was confused about because i didn't realize it was that long uh because i had the yeah. sense that the freighter they found the freighter and then they went to look for them but apparently that is not what happened
1: they they're they're very they don't really explain that well apparently they just kind of discovered the wreckage from the freighter that disappeared seven years earlier and somehow figured out if there were any survivors where the closest planet would have been for them to escape
0: to. Right. They might have um, been able to find.
1: The, yeah. It's weird. It, they're not, they're not, there's a lot of vagueness. In this
0: episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. But it's interesting because the freighter crew is not a Starfleet crew. So there's a little tension where, you know, Riker's like, you are coming with us. Uh, and the, the, the uh, you know Captain MacGyver is like I am staying here. I've got my my partner. We are all happy here. We're not going. Uh, and Riker's like the hell you aren't. And Riker's like uh, uh, Data says. Technically, we can't make them go.
1: <laughs> yes, because yes, because according to Data, the Odin is not a starship, which drives <laughs> me nuts. Again, I'm big into the ships. I'm big into the sort of the naval tradition of Starfleet, mm-hmm. and I. Again, season one. They just were working on their terminology. I'm sure they they meant a Starfleet
0: ship. But, I um, think they did. So this is episode one, uh, uh, not episode one, season one, episode fourteen. So very yes. early. Yeah, uh, they're still figuring okay. stuff out. You
1: know, most most of these actors not really familiar with science fiction.
0: That's, That's true, probably. And it's always interesting for me to go back to uh, season one episodes because while I feel like. Uh, one of the great strengths and weaknesses of TNG is its episodic nature. So you don't really get a lot of character development over the course of seven seasons. It's interesting to see how much stiffer Captain Picard is. I mean, he's always kind of, uh, that's kind of his character, right? He's proper and kind of stiff, but he's super stiff in the first season. Uh, And Data, as you were saying, is, it feels like, you know, they were really playing up that he's not a real boy, so he doesn't understand anything that humans do and even though he has access to you know all the knowledge in Starfleet's uh, databases he is flummoxed by perfume and other things yes uh,
1: i I, li- I like the accidentals you know shooting himself in the face with it in that reaction <laughs> uh,
0: that, that was a
1: good laugh laugh point there
0: so it's just interesting to see how And, I mean, I guess the characters, they grow a little bit, but it's more a function of, A, the writing staff kind of figuring out what the character should be, and, B, the actors figuring out how they want this character to be. Uh, And so they just kind of settle into it, and it really starts to fire uh, in late season two, early season three. Yeah,
1: I mean, you also have to give them credit as far as season one goes, because Star Trek hadn't been on the air for, like, 20 years. So they they had to there were still a lot of questions. They left us with a lot of questions, but they were still trying to answer a lot of questions themselves. Yeah. So I, 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 try to cut them some slack.
0: It's, it's totally, uh, they did a commendable job and I'm always amazed when I watch also a season one episode and I'm amazed that it got renewed for a season two because it's really yeah. not that good. <laughs> you know,
1: and I, I think part of the other problem that they have is just with being, it was the ni- it was 1980s. I mean, one of the issues that I have with the original series is it's 1960s television. So mm-hmm. it kind of, it's kind of slow, yep. you know, um, they really, Star Trek didn't become too exciting until probably, you know, a little, a little bit later in, into the nineties when we get a little further into next generation and TV itself just started popping a little, little bit better.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a product of its time, just like the original series. So, exactly. uh, and certainly showing its age, uh, for the early seasons of mm-hmm. Star Trek, uh, tng i do like there is a very good shot a cool shot and it's always cool when you have a, a an empty bridge and one character is there uh and so there's a char- there's a shot of data just sitting on the bridge by himself because he has to, everybody else has the space cold uh and he yes. has to kind of pilot the ship himself so that's a cool shot um i also like in this episode
1: the magical transporting nurse <laughs> During the scene where Jordy and Dr. Crusher are having a little back and forth over the communicator, mm-hmm. behind Jordy on the bridge, there is a nurse assisting a sick crew member. Flash to Dr. Crusher in sickbay, and that same nurse is standing <laughs> behind her. Back to the bridge, she's still there. Back to sickbay, she's still there. Twins. Easy as that. I, I, can, I can only imagine. Well, if we if we can have the Delaney sisters on a Voyager, then then sure, surely the Enterprise has has some twins as well.
0: Exactly. See, every starship has to come with a, a set of twins.
1: I, I believe I believe that's that's um, the second directive. <laughs> exactly, uh, because it's twice as nice as the prime directive. <laughs> so, Especially if if the Enterprise saucer separates,
0: oh, there you go. One on each it's a uh, backup. Okay. Uh, so, Angel One. Final thoughts on Angel One. Not, not
1: awful as far as anything goes. <laughs> um, not, but not not bad. It's it's next generation. All next generation. I love even. Mm-hmm. even if it's not even if it's not the best. It's still Star Trek to me. Um, so, I don't necessarily like the episode, but it's Star Trek. I'll watch it.
0: Yeah, and it has some things that I like in it. Uh, I enjoy whenever Captain Picard is annoyed by Wesley or other children, and that's in here. So check for that. Uh, <laughs> it's fun to see Riker try to be diplomatic and then seduce somebody. So check for that. Uh, although I guess he was, it was a mutual seduction. So that uh, in keeping yeah, with the was. theme of the episode, uh, sisters doing it for themselves. Uh,
1: I, I like, I like to see Data being a little snarky, and I like to see Geordi pleased with himself every time he's left in charge
0: <laughs> that's true there is a there was a point where they they arrive at angel one and they know it's a matriarchy and they're like hey counselor troy maybe you should talk to them <laughs> and it I was, was
1: like, nice to give deanna troy something more to do for a change
0: it's true but she didn't really do much and she kind no. of missed it she didn't know what to do she did a fine job but uh, <laughs> i just thought it was weird <laughs>
1: Well, but, I mean, counselor. That that's there's a diplomatic aspect there. It that's makes true. Sense. She she um, did as well as she could. That's one thing I don't think they they used her enough for in the series as far as diplomatic you know, diplomacy goes. They did, but they yeah. just used her as a mood ring. Exactly. <laughs> which which they also do in, in this episode. I sent something wrong, mm. and here in, in in comes the the found uh, runaways.
0: Yes. <laughs> Uh, Well, Alan, we have reached the end of our time. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And I apologize for making you rewatch Angel One. (laughs) (laughs) Some things just have to be done. (laughs) It's true.